Jason. Today's episode of the Lee Summit Town Hall podcast is brought to the good people by Budget Blinds. Budget Blinds! I'm excited, Jason. I'm excited to talk about the home of the Enlightened Style Shades because this is the 20th anniversary of Budget Blinds of Lee Summit. All hail are almost legal to drink, <laughs> robot overlords. <laughs> They're almost there. They're almost old almost enough. Almost there. Hey, look, Jason, this is a local business. They're celebrating 20 years here in Lee Summit. And they're going to throw a party, and they're inviting everybody to come celebrate with them. Everybody's invited. Everybody's invited. So mark your calendars. August 26th, it's the fourth Friday event in downtown Lee Summit. There we go. August 26th, from 5 to 8 p.m., drop by Budget Blinds of Lee Summit in downtown. And look, look around. There'll be art there. There'll be music. There's food. There's drinks. There's drinks. Thank these people for being a part of the community, for being a great local business, and even more, Jason, as we've learned over the years, they're even greater people. They are. They are a fantastic business. They are fantastic folks. They do a great job with all the things that are going on in our community. Go out. Look, you, you know you want to come down to 4th Friday on the 26th anyway. You're going to be there, so you might as well swing in, tell them all hail, yell budget blinds at them. They love that. I'm sure it will be fantastic <laughs> if, they, if you go and do that, and and partake in their celebration and thank them for being such a, a wonderful part of our community. And uh, Nick, more than that, if you want some really high quality, perhaps enlightened style shades, where do you go? You can go visit our friends at budget blinds of Lee summit. Tell them Jason Nick singer. Jason also celebrating 20 years in our community. Our other friends ask Kathy at Keller Williams realty 20 years. Serving the Lee Summit community. She has been, a, a, once again, a big part of our Lee Summit community for a long time. She's doing a lot of stuff. She's doing some cool stuff with you on the video side, interviewing all kinds of cool people in the city. But most important thing that she's doing is she and her team are helping you buy and sell your home here in Lee Summit. Jason, the Ask Kathy team is a force in the local real estate world. They are, they are doing awesome. Over 2,300 families helped. And in 2021, this was really cool, Jason, sold homes for 104% of asking price and average of five days. Right. And the market has cooled down a little bit, so your mileage may vary now. But By cooled down, you mean it's probably still smoking hot. Right. But, like, it wasn't – it's not necessarily insane at the moment. Who knows? I'm not the real estate expert. You know who is the real estate expert? Uh, is it Kathy? It's Kathy at Ask Kathy, Keller Williams Realty. So, look, if you are ready to buy or sell your home in Lee Summit, go visit our friends at Ask Kathy of Keller Williams. Tell them Jason and Nick sent you. Hello again, and welcome to Lee Summit Town Hall, a weekly podcast about what you can do to make a difference. I am Jason Norbury, and as always, I'm joined by a man who has triumphantly regained dominion over his house during the daytime. It's mine. It's Nick Parker, the publisher of Link to Lee Summit. School is back in session, Nick. It's true. School is officially back for all of the area schools. You know what that means? Just said it. The house is mine again. Yeah. Unfortunately, my house doesn't work that way. <laughs> but, I, of course, I also have, like, a job in an office that I have to go to more regularly. So, it, it works out one way or another. And our unofficial sponsor today is Lenny the Cool, RIP. We have, we've lost a, a, a local sports legend. Yeah, I, you know, like I, I, I grew up my mom telling me stories of, of, of Lenny and the old Chiefs. We all watched him 
uh, on Channel Nine. I remember back in '87 when he when he was inducted into the NFL Hall of Fame and and watching watching the folks at Channel Nine go crazy about it and all the coverage they gave. Well, and the remembrance. And that was cool. That, and in 1987, there was still the memory. Like we only had the memory of good Chiefs teams <laughs> at that point. <laughs> this is, this it was is true. A, it was a distant memory at that point. And you know, he was on the HBO show, the initial Inside the NFL show right. on HBO for like 20 years. And all of those things, right? Um, he was uh, just a an absolute Kansas City institution uh, for sixty years. And, and, and look, as as you know, I started off as a as a preps writer for 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 newspapers. So anybody who was around high school football over the years would see Lenny out on the sidelines with a camera crew going around to different schools, taking you know, getting shots and making reports, and it and it was fun. And he was so cool. I mean. Even as reporters, like we're all, hey, that's Lynn Dawson. <laughs> We'd get to talk to him. He'd talk to the kids and the coaches and fans. He, it was, it was really cool. He was always very gracious. So thank uh, him and and hopefully, uh, that, well, our condolences to his family and he will be missed in in the area for sure. All right, we've got a couple of notes and then we're going to go right to our big time interview for the week. Um, to do that. So Nick well, well the, the first, the first note we already did schools back in session. Hey everybody. <laughs> hey, schools back in session. <laughs> One quick note though, for everyone. Don't forget about if you're in Lee Summit, our seven school district, don't forget about the late start Fridays. Late start Fridays. I know the school's already started. I had to take. I forgot. <laughs> I had to take one of my cars in for some for new tires or some such this week, and uh, our our car place is over near OLP, uh, Our Lady Presentation, and the car line was. Very, very long and disruptive to my getting my car where it needed to be. And I was all like, grr, arg. Well, car um, lines are always a little crazy in the first week or two. Oh, yeah. And right? the funny thing everybody's got to remember the system or learn the new system. We came back out like 10 minutes later. The car line was gone. It was amazing. <laughs> I mean, so clearly it's like everybody appeared at one time, backed everything up, and then it was whisper. It, it, look, the teachers that run those car rider lines, magical. Yeah. And don't get on their bad side. No, don't, don't get on do their bad that. side. Hey, the the other thing, Jason, just a, just a quick note from over over at City Hall, there was a presentation actually two weeks ago. Now we, we we didn't get to get it in last last week's episode, but there was a presentation about creating a a new DMO. Jason, do you know what DMO stands for? I believe it's Destination Management Organization. Marketing, I Marketing, believe. Destination Marketing Organization. There we go. I just, uh, that was your test for the week. Yeah, I failed it. <laughs> I, got, I, got, I got two so, of the three words. So the, the, the city, the city uh, hired out to get a study done to see what recommendations could come back as, as, far, as far as marketing. It used to be called you know, tourism right. groups, but we're not doing tourism at least. This no, is, we do. We do destination marketing. This now. is, you know, reasons to bring people in, into, into the summit for weekend getaways or, Hey, you know, if you stay here during your business trip to Kansas city, right. day trips, whatever it is, you can do it. Right. So there was that Jason, what happened at that presentation? Uh, I mean, they, they made a big long presentation compared, talked about what these different organizations do, what a lot, there was a lot of comparables with local, some of the other uh, jurisdictions here in the city, Overland Park, Independence, Blue Springs, you know, all those, Kansas City, all those, uh, KCK even. Uh, and they say, you know, here's how all these different organizations are organized. These are the, you know, some of them are independent things. Some of them are under chambers of commerce or EDC organizations or any number of other, there are lots of different ways. Some of them are in-house. And then how are they funded? How much money do they get? Where's the money from? The key things here is they said their recommendation was that it be a standalone 
501c6 organization, which is just a nonprofit, very much like the chamber in organization, uh, and that it probably needs starting funding of three to four hundred thousand dollars, and then going up from there over time, and that money would they recommended it come out of the what's called out here the bed tax, the tax on hotels for the rooms, the room rental rates um, that they put a tax on. Right, and so this is this really early in the in the process. I think I, you know the next interesting thing to watch is going to be as the council and city staff start talking about where they're going to come up with that funding. Right, and how are they? How much do they think they will allot to create this group and to to form a partnership? Because it, it's going to be a standalone group. It won't actually be part of the city, but we'll see. Probably what we'll see is an, is another public service agreement between the city and this organization. Right, and 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 you know think. Through those things, um, a, a note that kind of passed under the radar uh, was that the EDC had its contract with the city terminated uh, a few weeks ago, and 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 so that's a piece of that. But like, even the money, even if you just took and and this is nobody to be clear, no one has proposed this in any public setting on anything. This is just an example. This is just an example. Even if you took all of the money that the city was paying to EDC under that PSA and moved it to this DMO, you would still need another 100000 on top of that to meet the numbers of this study should the council choose to adopt the findings of the study. So it's obviously there's going to be some net impact on the other PSA organizations that the city has potentially in terms of like how that pie is big or and or if the city needs to bring in other funds to support the other organizations in the way that they currently are supported plus do this DMO um, if they're going to do that at all. So it's just something to pay attention to. It is it is way too early to draw any final conclusions out of it at this point, other than clearly panic and call your council members and advocate <laughs> for the one thing you want. Um, but yeah, so it's just something to pay attention to, and we will be paying attention to it because it's, you know, we, we talk about the budget every year and it's a big piece, but like that's money that, um, you know, we, we have, uh, you know, Nick, you specifically have a vested interest. Some of that PSA money comes to downtown, but the chamber is supported with that. Uh, there's arts programming that probably may or may not come out of there. There's, there's a lot of pieces that, that have had their fingers in that particular pool of, of revenue for the city for a while. And how that impacts is going to be something to just to pay attention to. And, and eventually, I would imagine that it will be time for people to go and advocate for their side of the process. There we go. We're going to go on, Jason. We're going to move over to to our interview. We have a special guest. It's actually a pre-recorded, and since that time, our guest has had a title change. Right. So when we interviewed, uh, we we are going to have Ryan Elam from the City of Lee Summit here. When we interviewed him, he was the director of development services, and like literally like two days after the interview, but before we have posted it today, he got a promotion to assistant city manager. So uh, he is he is. So we we introduce him incorrectly. Right. We introduced him incorrectly. So we made a mistake from the point. Well, we didn't make a mistake uh, at the very beginning, but it was, you know, the news wasn't public at that point. And so it wasn't anything that we could put in the interview at that time. Um, but we, we had Ryan, we had talked about the housing study in the past here on the podcast. And we had committed to you, the listener, that we were going to have someone from the city on to talk about it. And nobody better probably at the city than, than Ryan to do that. And so we had Ryan Elam on, the now assistant city manager of the city of the summit, Ryan Elam. Let's go to that interview now. Yeah. 
We are here with Ryan Elam, the Director of Development Services for the City of Lee Summit. Did I get that right? Yeah, you got that right. I, Thanks, I just Jason. skipped to Missouri, but there is no other Lee Summit, so we're, we're good on that, I hope. I think you're going to have to redo it. Let's re-record it so you can say Missouri. I'm not doing it. Forget it. I, I'm going to stand on principle. That Ryan, we don't need to. welcome to the show. Thank you for bringing a level of professionalism that we don't usually have. Yeah, like, look, our guests, and, and frankly, us never have notes in front of us, notebooks in front of us. And Ryan Not to mention come, a three-ring binder. <laughs> right. Ryan has come with a binder. Now, to be fair to Ryan, he told us beforehand, this is the binder of the information that he used to prepare his discussion with the city council about what we're going to talk about today. So he didn't do this for us, but the fact that you thought to bring it, and in fact, honestly, you did that level of preparation at all ever it puts well not to shame because we we take no pride it just, in our it just slack, points out our brand points out our brand so good job Brian you already are smarter and looking better than on this podcast than we do so well done well it's a good thing it's a podcast and nobody can actually see the binder that's right. we'll, we'll see if I actually <laughs> nothing, use nothing it beats not. a visual reference on an audio medium uh, but I will say all right so Brian we we have you on we promised the people that we would start a conversation about housing sort of in the follow up of the new multifamily housing study that was done for the city so let's. So we thought we'd start with the facts as as we go, and and you are the uh, the the you know you were involved obviously very in the selecting the contractor and working with all the people, doing the consulting reports, all those sorts of things. So you're the fact guy. So we're going to start with that. So let's let's just start with the basic question: What? Uh, how did we get to like have this new report? Like what what was the process that kind of led up to that? Yeah. So um, this process actually started you know, five, six years ago, uh, when we did the original multifamily assessment in 2017. So, uh, and even it started before that. And so it was one of my favorite cudgels to use during the, uh, the time period, uh, after it was done before I left the planning commission was to be able to just beat that study over (laughs) and over again. I, I remember it. Yeah. So when we did the original study, uh, we had gone through a period of, you know, after the recession and, uh, you know, multifamily permits essentially were zero for about five years. Now, if you look at our history before the recession in, you know, 08, uh, we were issuing, you know, three, two, 300 apartment units a year, multifamily units pretty consistently. Um, we had a couple of years where there was even, you know, six, 700 units throughout the history. Um, so then we had that, that break where we issued none and just residential permits dropped off well, things turned around, and then in uh, 2012, 2013, there started to be some discussion about it, and then the first apartment project that we had really in a long time was the residence at New Longview in 2014, and so that brought up uh, the conversation again. Well, after that, we started seeing a lot more and a lot more and a lot more, um, so the council started to question, you know, are we overbuilt? Are we oversaturated? And so to answer that question... Uh, they decided to go down and hire a third party uh, to take a look at the market. Uh, and so that's that's what we did in 2017. And they did field work. They compared it to the surrounding communities and really focused on the suburban apartment market. So that set the stage for uh, the 2017 study, which showed that over the next 10 years, uh, we were projected to need have a need for additional apartment units or a demand really is what they, they came up with. So if you look at those numbers, and we were tracking against those numbers, uh, starting in 2017, we tracked the number of apartments that we had 
built, we had permitted, and that we had just gone through the entitlement process as well as those that are we just kind of heard about. Um, and we started to get to the point to where we thought maybe we were at the point where uh, we had reached kind of the numbers that the study said. So council said, let's update the study. Uh, so five years later, it was a 10-year projection. Five years is a good time to, to look at updating that. Plus, we were really hopeful for some new census data. And unfortunately, the census data was pretty delayed, and that kind of delayed the, the project a little bit. But uh, what that did was it actually made the timeline pretty much exactly five years apart, which is kind of a good thing. Uh, so when we did that, we found that even though we've built a number of different apartment units, um, the amount that we have actually gone into that demand, that 10-year projected demand, was very small uh, comparatively. I think uh, the numbers were around 2300 deficit in the 2017 and this one was around 1900 1935 and we've built or permitted you know 17,000 or 1700 not 17,000 <laughs> wow. there would be some angry <laughs> folks you misread the binder <laughs> yeah mi- mi- misread the binder uh, obviously i'm just holding the binder for security apparently right now <laughs> But uh, uh, so uh, updated demand projection, a lot of things have obviously changed uh, since the 2017 study. And uh, the biggest takeaway for me uh, on this whole study um, was the occupancy rates. Uh, In 2017, when we did the study, it was 98.4% of our apartments were occupied. And that's say say that again. In in 2017, it was 98.4% were occupied. Um, So. And when you're looking at an apartment market or anything in general, you really want uh, 95% uh, because you need to have uh, that extra capacity for people to move around uh, and move in when leases are up. They need to move, need a different space, need a bigger space. Anything above that, the occupancy rate is very high and considered very high, uh, and it doesn't allow for some of that. So it constrains the, the market uh, a little bit. So 98.4% is really high. And that was 2017. This study came back, you know, five years later, we built all these apartment units at 98.8%. So we held, we held pretty steady on, on that occupancy. I want to, I want to back up just, just a, a tiny bit to, to the why we do studies like this. Like, how is this, how is this used? Why are we having a study like this? And, and what does that, you know, how does that help in the planning areas as to, as to what a city wants to, to permit and even kind of steer different types of development. So uh, the way I look at these studies is they provide a market backing or a market perspective uh, on maybe some different planning ideas. So just because we do do planning and say, you know, we need a particular land use on a particular piece of property uh, doesn't necessarily mean that there is a, uh, an actual market demand for that. Um, but it also doesn't necessarily mean that that land you should change based off of the market demand. So it's kind of they work together to get let you know, all right, is your plan uh, realistic? Uh, and the things that you said were going to fit, is there an actual demand for that? Or is something going to sit and wait uh, for a certain period of time? Uh, or do you need to look at maybe changing that depending upon if your goal is to, to increase one thing or the other? Uh, so really, it's a way, I see these studies as a way to kind of validate uh, some of the planning principles uh, and help with timelines uh, more than anything else. Help us know, help us try to predict the future, uh, which is obviously really hard to do. Uh, 
Um. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I'll I'll I'll, I'll go. The, uh, let's take this direction. So obviously, one of the things that I saw obviously on the planning commission, and and you can see anybody who watches these meetings is there is often neighborhood resistance to multifamily, especially apartments in specific, but multifamily housing in general, as we go through there, there's, we could go litany of examples, but we, we don't need to, to go through that. So how does this help inform staff? Like these sort of a study, how does this help inform staff in, in man and dealing with not only council members expectations, but also the public's expectations as we go through? So I don't look at this, uh, I don't look at this study as a study that says, you know, apartments necessarily should go in a specific area or not. It says that there's a general need, uh, and it doesn't really, it doesn't at all get into some of the specifics, uh, associated with the location, such as the the neighborhood and the context. Right. It doesn't get into like spaces. It doesn't tell us we need apartments at 470 and Struther, for instance. I'm just picking a random place with no people. At the I mean, no apartments at the moment, but no houses, honestly, either. But I mean, just it doesn't say that, but it does say we need apartments or somewhere in the city. There's a demand for this. Correct. And and so I I look at this as one data point to be considered in that overall analysis of that individual project. Um, The study is just that it's a point in time. Uh, It's not the end all be all. Um, There are other considerations that need to be taken into account. Uh, But it was what it what it does do. Um, is say that, yeah, if you build it, these are likely to be occupied and there is a need that is going to be filled um, with that. Do, do you get response? Because I know a lot of what you do at the, at the development centers, you work with developers that, that want to do various developments. We're going to keep saying development over and over and over again. Good job. Right, yeah. Um, but are they looking at this study and then coming to Lee Summit saying, hey, we saw this, this, this is why we want to come here and uh, do it? I mean, how, how is that process Absolutely. Um, you know, when we did the first study, uh, you know, that we had several people come in and say, Hey, we, we'd already been looking at Lee summit. We've done our own studies. Now you have your, now you have this study that reinforces that, uh, this is going to be a good investment for them. Um, you know, I mentioned during the council presentation that a lot of the apartment complexes that are being built are tens of millions of dollars. Uh, and they've got institutional investors and investment groups behind them that all have their own requirements for, uh, things that they have to meet, they have to have a certain level of certainty. There's only so much risk that a lot of these people are willing to to take where they put their money in. Um, and, you know, a, a apartment project is easily $50 million now. Uh, so they have that. This is another, um, another piece of information that they have to support uh, some of the information that they perhaps have already been working on. Uh, so um, I don't think that the study can be used uh, you know, by itself in any particular context. Uh, I, but I do think it's a data point that gets added to the overall conversation about any particular project and helps either strengthen or, or weaken the, um, the, the kind of the project need. All right. Well, let's, let's break into a couple. I know that it, obviously there was this, the general, you know, we've gone from 2,300 to 1,900 or whatever the numbers, exact numbers are in the thing. In that, in that so far as there, yes, we've dented the need, but not really satisfied the need at this point in, for the city. 
but there was there's I think some there was some break further breakdown there. I know that there was a piece of that to discuss what portion of that would be senior sort of our, our senior housing is not the right word, but 55 plus lifestyle living, whatever we want to call it. And then also a portion for affordable housing. How does that do those uh, just as much for clarity for everybody listening? Do, are those numbers like a portion of the 1900 or are they separate from the 1900 or how does that work in? And then what does that do in some of your planning pieces as well? So this, this area does get a little complicated as far as the numbers overall. Um, so the, uh, I'm going to go with the affordable first. Okay. Uh, so the affordable numbers really are not a part of the overall demand uh, of the, the 1900, if you will. Uh, the reason for that being that the, the demand projection was based off of an income requirement. Uh, so you, you have a minimum income level that you can use to afford the market rate apartments. And that was part of the focus. of. Okay. This. So, and so just to be clear, so the 1900 number is primarily consistent of it's like, market rate apartments that like your typical lease summit person would afford. I know the number, the income number was, I think what 60,000 was sort of the target median number there that they were working with or. Yes. Yeah. That was the, that was the threshold that you had to have a, a minimum of 60,000 for the income, but then there was no upper limit uh, associated with it. Now, when they did the affordable analysis, that becomes a portion in, in income segment based off of the area median income. Uh, and they were really focused on uh, 40 to 80% of that AMI. So it was a different demographic set. Uh, so that had its own numbers associated. So that's like its it. own, and I'm going to air quote this, <laughs> market for that particular type of housing. Yeah, that's not even a, that's not an air quote. That's correct. Okay. It, it's a separate market uh, for that. Um, and then, so there's an overall number for that. And part of the other uh, benefit of doing one of these studies uh, in this manner is that uh, it, it gives you a really good snapshot of your inventory overall, overall, if you will, the apartment stock that's that's there. And uh, based off of the experience across the country and in the particular area, they're able to have valid estimates as to what portion of the market is residing in different kind of quality levels, if you will. One of the big things here is that when talking about affordable, um, about they took the overall affordable demographic broke that down and said, you know, 15% of those, um, of that affordable demographic uh, would respond well to a new product without increasing uh, vacancy rates in existing product that maybe is what they call a class B or a class C. So kind of maybe a lower quality product, an older product that's not um, not been renovated. Or so it would like not necessarily affect that 98% occupancy rate that you, you referred to earlier. Um, and that 98% occupancy rate that I referred to is really in the uh, market rate class B plus and a higher right. uh, apartment. So this is ensuring that we don't have vacant apartment buildings, um, you know, kind of throughout the community on the different spectrum of, of what product type is available. Can we define when we say the affordable category, is there a definition of what that, what that means? And, 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 I, and I ask because I feel like, a lot of times affordable is thrown out at different levels of conversation. And I don't know that everyone is always using the same definition. Well, there, I mean, there are I mean, just not to jump on Ryan here, but there are a lot of definitions of that, depending on what you did. Now, you had mentioned there that you were, you were looking in the 40 to 80% of median income level. So if the median number that we're aiming at is 60, um, if that's the number, sort of the threshold number for market, 40 to 80% of that would be 
in that, you know, in that, that ballpark. Yeah. And, and this is actually something that's really difficult to just pin down to one specific thing because it, it's based off of family size uh, as well. And there's um, HUD income limits. So the department of housing and urban development. Um, so just, uh, there's a table in the report that is easier, but I'm just gonna say for a four person, uh, how four person family household, the, the 2022 HUD income limits around almost 39,000 is at the 40% level. And uh, the hundred percent is 96, eight, um, or so. So that, that's why it's very difficult to pin down what does affordable mean, so you, right. you kind of have to take more variables into consideration. For reference points for people, and and this may not this might not be a valid question, but how does that fit with when you talk about Class B and above housing versus how does that fit in with those those income levels? Is there a way to do that to give people a reference point so they understand what we're talking about? So if I'm understanding the question like about. You'd be the first one of us to do so. <laughs> <laughs> well, because we just talked about we just talked about defining levels based on income, household income. But then, then earlier you were also talking about where we're going to say these types of, you know, there's Class B housing, Class A, yeah. right? So how does the how do those things correlate together? So I, I think the best way to correlate that is really probably more on the rents that are being okay. uh, asked for and the rents that are being received in each one of the different apartment complexes. Okay. So a, I'll, I'll call it a lower quality apartment complex, which I'll, I'll also say we don't have many um, overall. Uh, we actually, I don't think we have anything that's was graded below a C uh, in, inside of Lee Summit. So um, they're not able to achieve as high of a rent uh, as say one of the brand new complexes, you know, Elevate 114 or the Summit at West Pryor, um, for example. Um, so, they're naturally going to have differences in who can qualify uh, to, to live in those places. Um, so even in uh, some of the, uh, the lower qualities, rents are still in the $700 uh, range. But again, that varies too based off of the unit size. So that's really when you want to get it. If you want to get into the details of uh, the different rents for the different complexes, uh, that is one thing that the study did. Because uh, it did a field field report, so there's table breakdowns of here's the averages for a one bedroom, a two bedroom, a three bedroom, um, and it even has field reports about for each one of the field surveys that they did. Um, uh, I'm gonna say we're gonna put that on the Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that table breakdown on the podcast, yeah. we're gonna do that for, on the Patreon for a, for a, for a yeah. monthly support of this podcast. You can look at that table, That's, or you could just you know go to the city and ask them. Yeah. Um, uh, it'll also be posted on the city's website. Well, then, then we're not getting money for it. Yeah, right? it was Come like, on. It was the, the two taco tier is what I was trying to shoot for here. And, right, right. and there you go. Ruining, ruining my Patreon plans again. You and Nick both against me. Um, so, but that, that's not the only breakdown of, of type of multifamily that it, that it looked at. Right. So it also talked about senior housing and were those that were those really the kind of the key bit key breakdowns yeah so the key breakdown in the multifamily was there was the market rate uh then the senior market rate uh 55 plus uh then the affordable and then the senior affordable um so th when they looked at all the demographics they looked at the incomes they looked at the household they looked at the uh household age uh as as well to come up with those numbers and uh to nobody's surprise there's a, a 
a big need for uh, you know affordable, low, very low income uh, housing, uh, and none has been built in Lee Summit since 1996. Uh, and then there's also a need for seniors. Uh, that is the demographic that's projected to grow the most, and that can be a little misleading. Uh, but it's pre- projected to get the largest, uh, have the largest amount of growth in that. Jason's actually pretty close to that age. I just want wow. to throw that out there. Shots fired. <laughs> Shots fired. Uh, so yeah, there, there's definitely a need for both of that, those, but the, the senior market analysis, um, you know, a lot of the senior market analysis can reside in just regular multi-rate or market rate apartment complexes. Um, so it, it, you don't need to try to fill the entire market demand, uh, that was projected for 55 plus with 55 plus communities because not everybody wants to live in a 55 plus community. Um, so really part of it is about option and choice, uh, which fits right in with our strategic plan and the comprehensive plan about having those, those strong neighborhoods with various housing options and housing choices. So one of the other things that the study does for us is it, it helps us take a look at how do we, how do we spread those housing choices out in different types of housing? Uh, and are we going to have a, do we think that there's a reasonable demand for those at this particular point in time? So let's talk a little bit about that, the spreading out part or the the distribution of that, because I think that that's obviously geographic distribution is, I mean, I, I, we've already talked about that once that, 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 you know, not in my backyard sort of thing. And not, not even in the pejorative way, but like people are concerned about different stuff in the neighborhood that they're already in. They don't want things to change often. Um, but like, how does that, and obviously the sort of the, the thousand many thousand acre elephant in the room is the, you know, the, the PRI land that, that it's, that's out there that, that, you know, those decisions are on route. How does that work with you guys when you're thinking about that and dealing with the comprehensive plan and the master planning and the, and the, and the strategic plan, all these things that the city has done, a lot of it with public input and, and all that sort of process. How, how are you guys sort of piecing those things together and how does this study and, and your other data points kind of fit into that. Yeah. So when, when thinking through new developments and uh, things like that, we look for the, uh, the adjacencies and determine, okay, what's uh, really, what's around the area. If we've got an apartment complex going in the middle of a, a field that's not connected to anything, is that really good for the residents? Uh, is that where that, uh, you know, that more urban type of living is generally going to want to be? Uh, or are they going to want to be around more in a downtown setting, more of an area that's closer to, to you know, services and restaurants and, and all of those things, uh, a little bit more walkable community. Uh, and then you know, if you're adjacent to a normal single or regular single family neighborhood, I'll say normal, regular, that's just me- meant to be Look, in the context. dominant. It's the dominant housing <laughs> type in Lee Summit is the is subdivision comparatively subdivisions. comparatively large lot single family residences. Correct. So when I say regular or normal, it's it's meant to be our standard 70 by 120 um, single family subdivision there. Um, you know, there are definitely areas where they, you know, it was kind of overwhelmingly wanting some transition there uh, amongst the, the residents and the, the feedback that we received through all the plans. So we look for the, the right areas to, to have those transitions uh, as you move through uh, different options. But that's not everywhere. There, there are some areas that have been planned to have really a mix of housing all right there. Um, you know, there's several different places uh, like that. There's a couple of new ones coming on coming online here. I won't get into the details of that, but uh, a lot of that can be driven by the the characteristics of the site and what's already there uh, and trying to find 
good adjacencies. And I say good adjacencies, that means something that's going to be beneficial to the residents that are going to be living there, you know, whether it's a single family or the multifamily. Uh, and really, we're trying to find ways to have as big of a mix in different areas as possible. Because what that mix does uh, overall is it, um, it spreads out your infrastructure costs a little bit differently, uh, which is a good thing. And it uh, doesn't let you get oversaturated in one area or another, uh, which is kind of the reason why we did the multifamily study is to, to see if we were oversaturated in multifamily. We haven't done a, a study to see if we're oversaturated in single family um, or uh, we haven't done a retail study in a while and we haven't done, uh, you know, a, a townhome or a missing middle as we like to call it study. So, Oh, I would, I would just chew up a missing middle study. That would be something else. So that's a <laughs> what, whole, all do, what all does that look, look at just so, so that everybody kind of knows the language we're using here. What all does that, that, that kind of funny quote missing middle include? Yeah, that, that's a great point. Uh, so the missing middle is, you know, those um, kind of workforce housing, workforce development housing, housing that you would think uh, of as characteristically affordable, I guess. And what I mean by that is probably more of your your townhome, duplex, fourplex, smaller a, lot. A first-year teacher a first and their year spouse. Teacher, a, you know, a starter home uh, type of situation. Uh, so it, missing middle has got a – there's actually a book that um, – kind of coined the term missing middle. And if you look through our, our comprehensive plan, uh, igniteourfuture.net, uh, you can see the visuals, some of the visuals from there. Hashtag branding. <laughs> I'm sure there are, there are some bosses of yours that are very proud of you right now. Yeah, that was excellent. Uh, somewhere Mark Dunning has got a single tear running down his cheek. Like, I trained him well. As if he listens to us. But, you know, look. Um, so that was it just kind of to fit, Jason, what you and I did. Well, no, so I, that's for, you know. That's first-year teachers. That's a, a new hire, first-year hires uh, on the police force, the fire department, right. that kind of level, early worker in your career. Yeah, th that's the generally kind of accepted uh, term for some of that. Right. And I mean, because right now the, the median cost for a new-built home is $400,000 or more at this point, I think. It was at least my, that was my best bet on that at this point. And the, home, the median home sale price in Lee Summit is – creeping up to 300 i think is that the is in that it's in that ballpark anyway and and so those are big numbers for especially for someone who's you know maybe just starting their career well yeah or somebody who grew up here i mean i've heard i've heard council members say this that they have children who can't like can't live afford to live in lee summit at the moment even though they're you know out of college with jobs what have you but they can't find a place that fits their budget and their needs so it's a it's a real thing that not only is it's a nationwide thing, but it's also something that is really impacting Lee Summit, I think, as a whole. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And, you know, the challenge is a supply challenge. Uh, you know, there's just not homes available for sale or for rent that are in that price range. And uh, with market constraints and labor and materials and construction costs in general, uh, you can't build it uh, for that price range to be able to to sell for that price range so trying to find oh, especially at the traditional 70 foot by 120 foot single family lot type stuff it's you know you can't build there's a reason that they're all selling at 350 400 500 000 is because it costs a lot of money to build them exactly and so that's why trying to look at alternate ways and all alternate methods and different sizes to to try to provide that um, that market area that is currently not being served um, there because we like to talk about process a lot here. You know, the city 
You you in City Hall, you you guys can you can dream all you want and make these plans. You know what is how much influence do you actually have? Because look, the developers who have the money can decide a lot of what goes where and what they want to build. Then there's the the approval process from our elected officials. So how much actual control do, do, does a city have in there? We're doing these studies that show kind of demand and what we need. We've gone through planning processes to say we'd love to have this over here and this over here and mixed mixed use this way. How how much control of that do you actually have? So I, I think it depends on the context, but I like to say that we have a lot of influence. Um, we have a lot of influence, and we can set a lot of things up uh, for uh, for the future. Um, so when we do a comp plan, uh, that is a signal uh, to what the community's uh, needs, wants, and desires are uh, for a particular area. Uh, and so that is a signal to anybody that's looking to sell that land, buy that land, or anything that if they're wanting to do something with it, this is probably going to be looked on the most favorably. Uh, and then you go through our unified development ordinance, and there are things that by law you have to meet and you have to do. Uh, and so we have a process established to go through that to ensure that those things are being met. Um, but it really kind of starts with that influence, uh, that influence on that comp plan. And then we further have influence through things such as this study uh, to say, hey, development community, there's there's a need here uh, that we're identifying. So um, match the need up with an area that has been identified for that, and then you're, you're on the path towards uh, something that is likely to be acceptable. Now, um, ultimately, our processes are all set up to have a, a public input process, uh, and uh, so somebody can bring forward a rezoning or a comp plan amendment, if you will, uh, for something that's completely different. But if it's completely out of context, uh, it's got a low... Uh, likelihood of success uh, through there, um, but somebody's welcome to to come make that request. Uh, and so, I, I think the control aspect of there, as you, as you put it, is it's it's pretty high. Um, but I like to look at it more from influence and shaping things. And well, know, and control might not have been the right word. Yeah, we're we're really trying to. to I think find you were trying to, to paint like Ryan and the development staff as like evil masters, like <laughs> cackling over something in the background. <laughs> thing. Well, I might have done that for fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it can be complicated. Uh, you know, if somebody's never been through a development process or they're not familiar with it at all, there's a lot of steps and a lot of things that go on behind the scenes that, um, you know may seem unnecessary or may seem overly burdensome, uh, but really they're all designed uh, to really promote public health and safety and uh, ensure that uh, more people have a say uh, in what's going on in the community as a, as a whole. Well, I think the, probably the last thing we want to, we want to hit in on all of this and it's, it's, it's what we really focus on doing is, is that public involvement part. I mean, you can talk about, the public involvement during the recent ignite plan part happened, but when do when when can you know residents in areas where when when is the point where they should get involved? Say that you know there is a proposed development happening next door to their neighborhood or or whatever. What are the points where they can get involved in the process to make their voices heard? So they can get involved at any point in the process, but there are some very well-defined points that are specifically set up to have additional access. Uh, we require a neighborhood meeting 
uh, of all of our developers when they're coming in with a preliminary development plan or a rezoning. Uh, so they have to notify uh, individuals within 300 feet uh, of an area. So most of the time in most of our areas, that 300 feet uh, will hit an HOA uh, of some sort. So the HOA will then get involved. And um, the HOAs really play a, a critical role in informing residents about, about certain things going on through there. But the, the developers hold those neighborhood meetings. Uh, and then there is the public hearing in front of the planning commission. And then there's the public hearing in front of the city council. All of those are points and opportunities for participation. And we, we like having people show up and voice their opinions. Um, ideally, they're able to work with the, the developer at that neighborhood meeting. And before they get to the public hearing, uh, they're able to work with the developer on things and perhaps even come out in support uh, of a project. That's, that's the best case scenario. When somebody's coming in, they're talking to the neighbors uh, and they know that they want to be a good fit, and the neighborhood knows that something's going to happen uh, on there one way or the other, and it's an opportunity for a partnership instead of an adversarial relationship. And, I, and you could probably point to several times where where we've watched and seen, even if it's gone all the way to, to where it's, it's a public hearing before council, where comments have come back and the, and the developer goes, re-meets with neighborhoods and HOAs, and they make adjustments and find ways to, to put it all together and make it work. Yeah, there there are that uh, that's more typical than not. I, I think the atypical process is a developer coming in. Uh, we force them to meet with the neighborhood, but them not doing anything in response. Um, so that that type of an approach doesn't seem to work well. Um, and, uh, but there's rational dialogue and discussion along the way. Uh, one other thing. Um, we have a couple of different resources, again, available on our website. I keep kind of going back to that because we're very open with everything that's going through the process. Uh, we have a project list that you can go to, see anything that's coming up for a public hearing. On that list, you can click on the actual permit number, and you can get all of the details associated with the project. You can get the comment history. You can get the plans. You can get the notices and the letters that have gone out. It's nerd heaven. Yeah. It really is. There's there's tons of stuff available on there. And then once it gets to past that point, past the public hearing standpoint, it, if a permit is issued, it's transitioned over to our current development activities map. And that's a graphical map that you can go, if you drive by a property and you see somebody moving dirt or something on there and you're like, what's going on there? You can go click on it and you can get, get the plans and everything else associated with it. So. We did that a couple of years ago that we, we really made everything open. Um, there's a, a way to submit comments on right directly from there as well. So if you've got a comment on there and you didn't make it to a neighborhood meeting or something like that, that goes to us, that gets put in all the public packets as well. So, so if you go to cityofls.net, where do they go to get to that? What's the best funnel? You can just search like development applications. I think it'll get you there. I think there's ways to link to it. Well, and there's the four silos. So I was just kind of thinking. You know. <laughs> uh, I, I typically go just to the development services webpage. So if you go to city government and go to development services, there's two link that that'll get you to the development services main page. And then there's two little blue bars that are halfway through the page. One's the project list and one's the map and one's the map. Look, I will, I will give a, a commend the city. Like there's no such thing as a good and easy government website because there's just too much information. It's too much stuff. There's too much stuff that has to be housed there. So you can't ever make it easy enough, but the new redesigned over the what four or five years ago. Yeah. That sounds the, about right. The new site was redone. It is, a million times better than it better than it was. So, right. so yeah. good job on that. And you can fairly easily 
find what you need on that new site. But, but you know, yes, people can always complain because it's too much information. Go to, go to development services. Look at those links. That's a fantastic way. And then, of course, they are entitled to come to the planning commission meetings and the city council meetings to give during those public hearings. Uh, absolutely. And each one of those meetings also has public comment periods uh, as well. Um, so if there's something that's not on the agenda, that's that's another opportunity to talk to both the planning commissioners and the city council. And then uh, coming into City Hall and uh, going to the development center counter or calling 969-1200. Do you want to give out your personal cell phone number? I that- do not want to give out my personal <laughs> cell phone number, but uh, really um, that's why we're here. We're, we're here to help uh, provide information. We're here to answer questions uh, and we're here to facilitate the process. And um, we're heavily involved in the process, but it, it is 100% a public process. Uh, and, and that's the point uh, of everything. So we want to be as open as, as possible. Well, Ryan, I appreciate you, uh, you taking some time, sit down with us, talk about this study and the process and how stuff works. And it helping us kind of advance this conversation so that people know why we did the study, why the city did it, what it how they're going to use it. And we're going to have some further conversations, Jason, on on housing and and the planning and what's going to happen. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do that, and I'm sure that this is the good first step. And I really appreciate you coming in to do that. But we promised in the next things to do stuff that'll make you guys mad. It's our it's our goal at the end of this whole process. But we <laughs> we do appreciate you coming in, kind of giving us the grounding um, to 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 build off and and really grow this conversation. So thank you, Ryan. No, thank you both. I appreciate being on here. Uh, you guys do a, do a great job informing the community, so I really appreciate that. Um, if I can give one more plug on the uh, housing conversation in general, Absolutely. we've been discussing quite a bit with the Community and Economic Development Committee, the, the council committee that meets the second Wednesday of each month, uh, on housing affordability, and we've had four or five different conversations about things that to, to look into uh, to get some action on. And uh, we're going to continue those conversations kind of every month uh, on there. So if you're, you're interested in the housing affordability conversation, that's a good, good committee to follow. Look at that. Ryan encourages even more nerdiness than we did. That's impressive. Wow. That's sucking up to the host. That is excellent. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. That will wrap us up for this week. We'll talk to everybody next time.